0: The podcast, you're moving away from gospel well as a topic.
1: Tell podcast me. is gospel well, but we basically are always covering, in some sense,
0: topics that are offshoots of it. Maybe after we talk about gospel mission, uh-huh. we're going to move away from it slightly, no?
1: So what I wanted to do, as I was imagining, is that we, we go back to lesson one. Oh. But we talk about different things.
0: Things that we didn't get to cover.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot. And we just keep on going one two three four and then we go back again really yeah over and over and over interesting but it just has different angles it always has different angle it could be like i have a topic we could cover right now on top of this that we could start off with
0: we have to have eventually a different way of starting and not talking about music (laughs) i won't okay we'll just start we just start okay here we go (laughs)
1: Past week, Tim Keller went to be with the Lord, right? And you have quite often quoted Tim Keller. I do too. I I would say you do more, much more, because you've had much more influence from Tim Keller over the years. So, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about some of your influences slash interactions with Tim Keller, whether I'm not saying it's personal in terms of personal interaction, but you have gone through city to city. Or the Redeemer Network or... Oh,
0: Redeemer Fellows Program.
1: Redeemer yeah. Fellows Program. Maybe you could share a little bit about that. And what it is about Tim Keller that you find so impactful and
0: influential to you? Well, I didn't know you were going to ask this. <laughs> <laughs> Since he died on Friday, uh, I've been reflective and thinking over and over again what my experience was and my emotions and responses to, to him reading what people have written and shared online. You know, I have several paragraphs ready, but I haven't shared it. Just a few thoughts from those paragraphs that I prepared and kind of mulling over. As part of the Redeemer Fellows Program.
1: Can you explain the Redeemer's Fellow Program? What is that? Because I think most of us actually don't know what that is.
0: It's part of the Redeemer Church Planting Center to get four guys to spend approximately a year. The year is broken up into 15 meetings, each meeting being two hours with Tim. It was intended to prepare church planters who plant in the city or in world-class cities like Amsterdam. So we had one gentleman from Amsterdam and I was the fifth wheel out of four. They allowed me in probably because Bill Crispin, one of those who influenced Tim Keller, while he was in Philadelphia, Bill Crispin was my mentor at the time. As I was getting trained to be a church planter, Bill Crispin thought, well, Fuji, you've hit the limit on what you can learn from here in Philly. And the way I interpreted what he said was, Fuji, you're so bad that you gotta go and learn from the best. And that's how I understood it. It wasn't out of capability or even potential or qualifications that Bill kind of spoke on my behalf, as well as I I may have name dropped Ron Lutz's name in the application. Now, Ron Lutz was close, if not one of the closest people to Tim at the time because they were both, I believe together at New Life Glenside with Jack Miller. Because of that, they allowed me in as a fifth wheel out of four. So we spend almost every two weeks meeting up with him for two hours over lunch. He would give us reading his material. We would read it. We would get together as a group of five, come up with questions that emerge from the readings and then rank order the questions so that we would not ask him the questions that we should already know the answer to. We would ask him questions that we don't know and he may not know is because We wanted to push him. And if you're from Amsterdam, you're not really enthralled with authority. (laughs) So that guy, he'll just ask anything, he'll push back. Especially me being an Asian, really thinking that, you know, how can I question or push back on Tim Keller? Uh, The giant in the room, as he's been called. Our task was to actually ask him the toughest questions we could. That was the Redeemer Fellows program, along with other things. But uh, we're so thankful for Kathy as well, because we got to go over to the house and have dinner and the discussion a couple of times. So thankful for that.
1: So influence-wise, in terms of your understanding of the gospel, ministry, life, marriage, what are some of the influences? What are some of the reflections?
0: He valued the gospel for his own life. And that came through in the conversations that we had around the table. The reason why my own personal worship was transformed or what I use crystallized was because he shared how he needed the gospel regularly every day and how he practiced personal worship and how he was growing in it. His character, humility, all transformed and transforming by the gospel. It helped me tremendously. And because of Lisa had bought me Colin Hansen's book, His Spiritual Influences, I was reading chapter 13 because that's the part about Westminster. Sometimes it mentioned Gordon Conwell. You and I went to Gordon Conwell, where he and Kathy went to, that's where they met. But also Tim Keller, after nine years in Hopewell, Virginia, spent five years at Westminster, five plus years, pretty much comes down to, you know, I went to seven years at those two institutions looking back i think i only understood 20 to 30 percent of what they were talking about here comes keller who not only understood what the professors individually talked about but he was able to bring it together in such a way that it was transformative it changed his life it changed his view on ministry on everything that he did including the gospel from jack miller he did take six
1: classes with meredith klein (laughs) That was pretty influential. I don't know if uh, probably most people can appreciate that, but we went through Kingdom Prologue with a group of people at Wellspring, and I know that maybe for those who are listening to this, a few of you do appreciate Meredith Klein. I think what Meredith Klein brought to Tim Keller was this sense of the continuity of having an understanding of how God operates in redemptive history. And so therefore, the whole reading Christ in the Old Testament, in many ways, Klein was a, a master of that. And, you know, he's not the first one to do that, obviously. I mean, it goes back to the Calvin. It could go back to Augustine. I think most people would say it goes back to Jesus himself. Paul did that. And so definitely Meredith Klein, he had a pretty particular influence with Jack Miller, other people. Richard Lovelace. Richard Lovelace, who we Conwell. took. Yes. And funny story about Richard Lovelace. Do you remember this story? I
0: were you there in that class? I think we were in the same class. Yeah. And again, I only understood 10, 20%. Yes, I I don't think I understood. What was this
1: funny story? So, Richard Lovelace, when Fuji and I were in seminary, everyone knew Richard Lovelace's book, The Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, has some incredible insights on the gospel's impact in the life of believers. But by the time we took him, he was, he might have been, I don't know, he seemed like a thousand years old. (laughs) But he was probably around in his 70s, about to retire. Actually, I think probably that was his last year. And so lecture-wise, let's just say he was a better writer than a lecturer. Some of you have had that type of professor. Uh, In the middle of the lecture, we're writing notes, he's lecturing, and then suddenly says, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be like George Bush. And then we all have our heads down writing our notes, and he just starts running out of the lecture hall, out the door, and no one knew what to do. And he never came back. And so we're thinking, what's going on? What do we do? Basically what happened is that I think the previous week, George Bush was in Tokyo, the first George Bush, and he was feeling sick, and he threw up all over the prime minister's lap. And so what Richard Loveless was quoting or referring to was george bush throwing up so i think he was feeling sick and he left but the funny part of it was just the fact that he just took off and no one knew what to do we all just sat there but that was very much that's like a small picture he was often thought to be very eccentric i know this has nothing to do with tim keller we we sort of as we usually do veered off a little bit but richard Lovelace definitely impacted tim Keller along yeah. with others c.s lewis You cannot listen to a sermon of Tim Keller without hearing C.S. Lewis at least once every two sermons. As
0: somebody once said that if Tim doesn't have that much time, he'll quote C.S. Lewis. (laughs) Not enough time to prepare the sermon, he'll quote C.S. Lewis. Have you seen uh, Tim Keller's notes? Yes. Preaching notes? Yes, he showed.
1: It is. You have to decipher it. Yeah. It's not easy to understand. He told us what he was doing. I just watched Beautiful Mind with my kids. (laughs) You know, there's this one scene where um, Russell Crowe's depicting John Nash, the mathematician, at brilliant mathematician at Princeton, and he's in the library and he's like writing all these formulas. That's Tim Keller with sermon notes. I'm serious. Beautiful mind, but crazy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> not, a, not idios. Not a schizophrenic crazy. I mean, just the notes
0: are literally it's code. Right. If you Google what he does in sermon preparation, it'll come up. But what he's doing is he's rewriting the sermon as many times as he can. And each time, because it takes so much time to rewrite it, he shortens words. He takes out vowels. So you'll see like just a string of consonants that only makes sense to him. Well, that's what I mean. It's code. It's code. Yeah. It, and,
1: and you have to d- decipher the
0: code. And only he can. He prints it out in like half of eight and a half by 11, two pieces of that, and tucks it in his Bible. But then even after printing it out, he just writes notes. (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. Even after that. Even after that. Because he's constantly thinking it through. But it's
1: amazing because you think, how do you keep track of everything while you're up there?
0: But he's actually not reading. You'll see. He has oh, a I notes. Know. He's not reading. You can't read that. You can't read that.
1: I mean, that would be, he would be speaking gibberish, right? He, so, he would be John Nash in every way
0: then. He has those two pages uh-huh. and then a page or two of quotes. He'll read the quotes, but usually not his notes. That rhymes. <laughs> Was that intentional? <laughs> yeah, no. But all in all, I'm so thankful and him as a person transformed by the gospel that you and I we all have, we have access to, that changes us, that there's nothing magical about Redeemer Fellows Program. The magic, if we can use that word, the power is the gospel. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I went to those seminaries and I didn't understand and I was not able to put it all together. I'm so thankful that Tim Keller did. And then I had the opportunity to be kind of spoon-fed the digested version, where would I be? You know, the gospel would not have changed me as dramatically. I would have wasted many years of ministry life, I think.
1: Yeah. For me, I think Tim Keller, I shared on Sunday, he was not so influential to me early on in my ministry. In fact, I I think because so many people did talk about him so much, I had... There is a contrarian to me sometimes where if too many people like when I was in Boston, too many people like the Celtics. So, well, I was a Knicks fan anyway. So, but everyone liked Michael Jordan when I was in Chicago. And that made me really not like. <laughs> the Bulls or Michael <laughs> Jordan so when everyone really likes Tim Keller that much I go what is the big deal secondly is that I didn't have the Gospels perspective so same here because of that I didn't understand what Tim Keller was doing actually so for me the influence over my life and ministry at that time and especially in those seminary years was John Piper much more than yes Tim Keller so John Piper if you listen to his style of preaching it's um very exegetical expositional a lot more focused uh, towards uh, someone who's more theologically astute. I remember Scott Hafeman, who was one of our professors, he would say that John Piper is the greatest preacher in the United States of America. And and you could see why someone like a seminary professor would appreciate someone like John Piper. And again, I I have no problem with John Piper. I love John Piper. I still do. I think he's a really godly man who loves the Lord, but he's a man. What I didn't have was keller's holistic view the historical redemptive view of christ and scripture and so once the gospel took hold and once that sort of wardrobe opened to a new world to a new narnia you might say a gospel narnia suddenly it made me realize what tim keller was doing what he was all about why he was preaching the way it was why he f- had a so, uh, certain foci that i think allowed me to understand his significance more for the church as a whole. And yeah, so then I really started appreciating his preaching a lot more, his focus on ministry, um, obviously his writing. That's another thing that came later, not while we were in seminary. He didn't write, I think, his first book, I think was Reason for God, I think. his very first. first book?
0: published book, uh, ministers of mercy, and there was another oh. book, resources for deacons. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are two books that. that was that was decades yes, before. Yes,
1: and they're not necessarily for the wider church no. per se, like for the just the lay person. It was his doctor
0: of ministry project back I in see, the day. I see.
1: So that yes, that makes sense. A reason for God was really the first sort of widespread book that I think made an impact on so many people and. You begin to see how all of the different books that he was writing it still had that gospel underpinning to it and it just that stream was all throughout and it made a lot of sense so I think if I went to Redeemer in my seminary days what I would have walked away with was you know this is good but it's not necessarily a sermon
0: style I would appreciate because it's pretty basic I'd feel like it's basic I would have agreed with you back then. Yeah, back then. Because I didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, I didn't either.
1: And so for me, it was, well, you're not going to talk about, I don't know, about justification. Clearly. I mean, I'm not talking about, he does talk about justification, but the theological words that are used, doctrinal ideas that I'm hearing in seminary classes. So I sort of wanted that. And I remember a couple of friends of mine, they were members of Redeemer. They're part of a Redeemer plant. You know them. And... One day we were talking to them and they said oh they like tim keller's preaching this is a couple that had gone to redeemer for a long time moved on to redeemer plant and they said but they felt like it was pretty basic and therefore they were looking for a church with a little bit more depth and back then i thought oh yeah i could see why they would say that but now i'm thinking maybe they didn't understand it that's what i was like i would have said tim keller's preaching and redeemer doesn't have theological depth but in actuality, it wasn't Tim Keller and Redeemer, it was me. I didn't have the theological depth because in my mind, depth meant using words like preterist and, uh, you know, superlapsarian and uh, talking about eschatology all the time or, you know, all these different words and terminologies. But what I was really missing was because I didn't understand the gospel perspective, I didn't understand what he was doing so my actual depth was pretty narrow. It was not too deep. And it made me miss out on what he was doing. So mm. I came to appreciate him much later. And But it the influence is great. Now, I will say this is that I, I also do think that I do think an admire and I'm so thankful for him. But for those of you who are listening who are saying, yeah, but, you know, in the end, this is still a man. I do think that there is a danger for all of us to so uplift someone that we... Almost turn someone into sort of the Protestant Pope, where they are almost on the same level of Jesus Himself. Something that I think all of us need to be mindful of is that there is no one as great as Tim Keller is, or John Piper, or others, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, whomever it is. Right? They're still infinitely lower than Christ. Right? Yeah. Like they're still a sinner. Right. They're still saved by grace, just like. All of us. In need of grace every day. They need the Lord. There's no way as smart as they are, as gifted, as talented, that they could ever know the Father without the atoning work of Christ. And they would be the first ones to say it too. And in terms of holiness, yeah, they're holy relative to maybe certain people. But relative to Christ, it's it's an infinite chasm of holiness between the Lord and even the most holy person in this world. So... We want to admire someone like Tim Keller, so thankful for him and his ministry. We will celebrate the impact that he's made. We will talk about him, we'll quote him, but we will not worship him. And I don't think he would ever, I know right now, he's doing only one thing. He's worshiping the Lord perfectly in his ongoing delight and joy. I'm thankful for the ministry of Tim Keller, for Redeemer, and looking forward to seeing how life moves and continues to grow, even Though he's no longer with us.
0: I think that is it for today. Uh, if you have any questions, email gospelwell at wspring.org. So
1: see you next time. Thanks.